0: Welcome to the Opti Show with Mackenzie Stewart and Amy Shannon. We have over
1: 15 years of literary experience between us. Our mission is to educate and assist authors of all writing levels.
0: Hi there. How are you today?
1: I'm doing good. How are you?
0: hey i'm I'm doing well i'm doing well thank you for for asking so we are starting uh women's history month so yeah very excited about that very excited about that
1: oh yeah me too um you know it's i when I was thinking about you know what we were gonna do for for our show uh today. And mm-hmm. you know we discussed doing uh, Women's History Month. Um, I it's, it's something I never really thought of, but I wondered who was the I I googled to see who was the first uh, published woman author because I was pretty interested in that. Oh, yeah. I mean, and yeah, it was it was um uh it, it was I think they said it was Julian North. Norway or something and it was uh her book was published in 1393. Wow. So I found that was really interesting and actually I I looked it up to see if it was available on Amazon cuz it was called The Divine Romance or something like that and I actually bought it for my Kindle for 99 cents. So um I I'm curious very that it just made me think of like oh you know i was looking at all the books on my shelves and i have a lot of books that are you know written by women i mean i read books from whoever wants to write one you know um it doesn't really matter but i kind of have like um and i didn't didn't even really mean to it's just like i just you know i i redid my bookshelves again because okay. I needed to, I was tired of having books in bins and stuff and you know I moved <laughs> that long ago mm-hmm. um, and I still had a bins full of books so I got a new bookshelf and I reorganized all my books and everything and um, and I just, I didn't realize how many of them were or are women authors and they're also um they're historical women figures too, because i um I love to read uh biographies you know from my personal um reading and I like biographies and true crime, but I really like reading um biographies about the first ladies I find that they they they've really um you know they' they piqued my interest <laughs>
0: mhm. No, that's that's great. That's that's great to know. Um, so I was thinking um, along the same lines, right? So I was thinking, mm-hmm. um, what are some what are some interesting women who published? And so I have one that that you i mean yours go yours go way way back mine, mine doesn't go <laughs> as far back as that, but yeah you you did some digging on that one well yep. i have i have a couple that i want to
1: mm-hmm.
0: kind of talk talk to you about, okay. and um the first is Lena Richard born uh 1892 through 1950 and um, Lena was from the um Jim Crow South um she was one of the very first um America's very first celebrity chefs, chef chef chefs. um and oh. the first African American to host her own TV cooking show Fourteen years before Julia Child made her debut. Wow. I why I, I know, I know. Um known nationally um as the best Creole chef in New Orleans, Richard ran a catering company, an international uh, frozen food company, international back then. And yeah. a series oh, of wow. Where whites and blacks bucked segregation laws to eat her famous gumbo under one roof. So she did some bridge building through her food. So that is awesome. She also That's very opened, awesome. Yeah, look, look she she makes she makes um, me just shame shameful, right? So because there's more, like there's more. I got to get to stepping on what I need to do to kind of catch up with her. She also opened a cooking school to help members of the local black community command higher wages in the culinary industry. Um, Lena Richards' New Orleans cookbook, which she published in 1939, was the first Creole cookbook written by a black author. Her goal was to make dishes like crawfish, bisque, um her favorite was watermelon uh ice cream ooh, that sounds good, yeah, and she also <laughs> um it was a sherbet yeah 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 wow. um the cookbook became so popular that huffton miffin they republished it internationally oh. within a year wow That's, I know I know. In 1949, Richard starred in her own half-hour cooking show, which aired twice a week on the, lo- the her lo- local station. And um, was it a, like a PBS station? I, you know what? I don't know. But um, I only
1: wonder because I remember when I started watching cooking shows, the only place that you could really watch them was on PBS you know, a, a local PBS station. Mhm.
0: Yeah, so um you know, I don't even remember cooking shows when I was growing up. Like, I don't really I I did I did remember Julia Child. Did I did remember her? Um, yeah,
1: um I mean, when I was a kid, I wasn't, you know, I I, I played. I I was a a tomboy. <laughs> we loved being outside we weren't sitting yeah. in front of the tv all the time tv time was usually saturday morning cartoons and then you know after dinner we could watch a couple shows and then we'd go to bed cuz we had to go to school um i started watching um some cooking shows with my former uh my former father-in-law well my late father-in-law um yeah. and we used to watch them together uh, and um you know, so some of the older ones. Um, I mean, I I know Julia Child, but I, I don't remember ever watching a cooking show that had the lead was an African American. Me either. Yeah. This is what a remarkable woman.
0: Right. For, well, for that day in age. For her to be able to to sell her food um, internationally, that that was huge, right? Um, yeah,
1: I mean, because she has she, I hate saying this, but back then she has two strikes against her: one, she's a woman, and two, she was African American. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you think about both times, and um. But you know publishing her cookbook in nineteen thirty nine it towards you know that was towards the end of the depression um mm-hmm. that you know I bet she really um you know helped out her her neighbors and stuff like that you know during the depression and you know she probably was you know it's interesting how she she took her her food. I watch a lot of cooking shows. I like watching uh, you know, um the Discovery uh, net, uh streaming channel and you get a variety of stuff. And, you know, it's always I find it it's so interesting because then I learn how to put like different flavors together. Um and mm-hmm. try things that I've never tried before. Um, one thing I never thought I would like um, because I wasn't really good, big on cooked greens when I was little, but I can't get enough of collard greens. Oh I like my add goodness. them to everything. Okay. <laughs> I mean that's that's my go-to green. So, and because they're hearty, and I I cook them up a little salt and peppers and a little bacon, and I and I put them on like a hot sandwich. Well, usually I eat wraps and stuff like that, but that's like my go. That's my go-to green. <laughs> I don't put lettuce. I I I cook up collard greens and put them on my sandwich. Oh,
0: okay. So, I'm going to so since you said that I was looking in um Better Homes and Gardens, I'm going to send you this um there's a um, recipe for collard greens. It it, it kind of reminds you of um cream spinach. The, mm-hmm. this this green recipe, but it you you cook it in uh coconut coconut milk. And so Ooh. I'm gonna I'm gonna to i I'm gonna send you that recipe. You might like it. We could definitely put it on our site see if um our viewers want to um take a look at the recipe. So now let me let me tell you a game changer for your collard greens. Everybody is gonna be like we want Amy's collard greens <laughs> So I'm gonna tell you. So put a little sugar in it. Really? Just, um, yeah, you just want to put a pinch of sugar in it. Yes.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to try that.
0: Yes. And if you you can um you know, I used to use those ha- you know those those you know I've never used bacon, but I've used, you know, ham pieces. Mm-hmm. Um but if you use like a smoked turkey leg, when you cook it Ooh. and you you, you cuz you know you got you have to cook collard greens a long time and uh oh, um, yeah, yeah yeah so you, that smoked turkey leg cooks and then you have a little of that um you know turkey meat in there but just a little Ooh. bit of um sugar you will like because collard greens are bitter mm-hmm. yeah they're bitter and so by adding a little sugar that's that's going to cha- that's going to change the the whole flavor of it. So let me
1: know. Oh, That's my I intent. will, I will.
0: Because
1: yeah. I like, I started, I was inspired by a local uh, sub place. Um, I am a really huge mushroom fan. And one time my son took me to a local sub place, and they had um, a mushroom sub, and I had never thought about, yeah. um, you know, doing that. Because I know mushrooms are very meaty. So mm-hmm. I took that idea and sometimes I'll buy um a couple things uh, you know fresh mushrooms. I like the baby bellas and the white and I I cook them down with my own seasonings and I and then I put them on a uh, uh, like a wrap, a tortilla wrap with some mozzarella cheese and of course the cook collard greens because once the mush- mushrooms start to break down, I throw the collard greens in there and after I've just salted them and I mix them all together and then I create a wrap out of it. Mm. And it's it's like if you like mushrooms, I mean, I really do. And I never thought, I mean, I've seen on TV where, you know, like they will, you know, vegetarians will substitute mushrooms for, you know, meat or something, especially like the big portobello's. But I just cut up a whole bunch of little Mushrooms, I cook them down, and I probably have enough for two two wraps, and I can only eat like one. So, and they're good the next day when you reheat it. It's it's delicious, <laughs> and I love like I said, I love collard greens on like my sandwiches and stuff like that. Especially hot sandwiches, I'm really big on hot sandwiches. So I, um, I, but I started just throwing them right in with the mushrooms because I add a little butter and Worcestershire sauce and I cook it down. And it's delicious. And that's the cooking hour. <laughs> <I bet. laughs> well, cookbooks are they're books. <laughs> um, I actually a long time ago, I um when I, uh, my kids were were younger, um, I created a cookbook. Just it was just for like my kids and when each of them turned 18 they got a copy of it um it's just stuff that like recipes i made up over the years and um things that i've tried and some and things like that and you know so like even though i live with my son lewis and his uh fiance when he turned uh, when we moved he's like well, when we, when he turned 18 he's like okay where's my cookbook mom you said i was going to have one <laughs>
0: <laughs> so
1: yeah you know family recipes and um stuff that I just made up and they 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 loved and growing up and so um, I always like to cook and i I don't do it very often well i I make my own dinner, but a lot of times it's just something simple, every once in a while, I'll you know make something that's more than one pot. <laughs>
0: yeah no that's that's great yeah so that's that's the first um fifteen minutes of the cooking hour right so, yep. <laughs> um, so I have another amazing um person did did you have anybody that you wanted to share before I this other amazing person?
1: No, I mean I was thinking and it's it's gonna sound silly, but um. I really like the older shows, like from the 70s and 80s. So I, I buy a lot of, like, TV shows on DVD. And I've had Little House on the Prairie for, like, the longest time. And I just started watching it again. And I also have... I have her, her books that she wrote, you know, and it's they're more towards children. But then my dad had bought me... Books about her life, you know, other people wrote or she wrote for adults, and I remember when I bought the book set because I used to have them when I was a kid, and then I don't know what happened to it, but then when my son Robert was in school and they had the Scholastic Book Clubs, and I saw that they had the whole set and it was like nine ninety five or something like that, so I bought it and I've I've had it ever since. I've read them a few times. But I was I, I I I like the way she tells her stories and I also like when you see the like a lot of the stories on the show, you know, they're made up. Things didn't really happen or um, you know, creative, you know, you know they added their own creativity and and writing to the show, but when you read the books and you find out like what they go through, it's to me it's amazing how the men they loved their wives, they treated them as if they were frail, but yet some most of the wives they were out doing, like, extremely hard work. They had to, you know, they may have looked, you know, like the weaker sex, so to speak, and I'm using air quotes for weaker Mm -hmm. sex. But Mm -hmm. if you ever watched or thought about, you know, even imagine what, like, farmer's wives would do, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, they were out plowing fields and cooking over hot stoves and you know taking care of the animals and things like that and so I just um I like to honor any um farmer's wife. Um my 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 great grandmother she was a farmer's wife. My great grandfather uh my grandmother who recently passed her parents um they were uh they had a big they had a very successful farm and my grandfather he worked the farm and he also worked for General Electric um so he had a full-time job and you know he had a farm to run um my grandmother used to tell us stories um about the treks they used to do. You know, it used to take them two hours to go 10 miles, you know, with their horse and buggy or whatever. Um, And when she talked about her mother, I... And my my grandmother, she was... I remember... I mean, she died in 78, but I remember her very clearly. She was built like a brick house. She wasn't... She wasn't heavy, but... Mm -hmm she was a sturdy woman and i know that sounds really strange but when my grandmother was telling me about the different things that they would do on the farm and i could just imagine um you know seeing my grandmother and recently my uh a cousin of mine he found footage uh um that ge did with my um and my grandma my great grandmother was in it um in an advertisement for how far GE had come along in the 20s. Yeah, and um, I think I shared it on my Facebook page a while ago, but I know I have it on my YouTube. Uh, I shared it there. But I I just, I pictured my grandmother or my great-grandmother doing those things, and I can't imagine, and she had, oh, let's see, she had... Six, six children. I want to say. Um, I, I don't remember, but I think it was like six children, all at her feet, and she took care of the house. She took care of the animals. She she plowed fields. She she had to walk the cows down uh, about a half mile to the creek for water. <laughs> um, so I just I kind of want to for all farmers' wives past, present, future, Um, thank you for the hard work that you do. And um, not everybody appreciates it. Not a lot of people think about where their food comes from. But, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when they were running the farm, my grandmother told me that they had gardens for them, and then they had gardens that they would use so they could either help feed their neighbors Because it was the depression Um, so they would uh, give away food to their neighbors if they didn't have food they'd give away coal if they didn't have heat Mm -hmm. um, my my grandmother said that she knew there was a depression going on because she could see it in the newspaper but at home they never felt it because they always had food Mm -hmm. you know their parents were very hard-working so Uh, She said the only chore that her her mother would do and didn't want anybody else doing it was candling the eggs. And and she goes, and I never knew why. I'm like, grandmother, I, I said, it's the same reason why mothers like doing the dishes so nobody will come in and bother them. (laughs) that was her chore that was like her you know she liked doing it she could go in the basement close the door be away from the kids and the husband and she could just relax and candle the eggs and back then yes they actually used a candle and held the egg up to it so it's not like i mean they do some kind of i don't know what they do now i know it's still it's a similar process but it's not with an actual candle but yeah um so i just kind of want to do a shout out to all the farmers wives and thank you for your your hard work that is never ending.
0: That's wonderful, that's wonderful. So I'm gonna help the listeners out on trivia night. So I'm okay. gonna help <laughs> <laughs> So did you know? <laughs> so Laura Dolly Johnson uh, born in 1852 uh, through 1918. And did you know that she was the White House cook for two presidents? That will get you some trivia right there, right? That would get you some trivia, right? So, yes. Yeah. So, what was her
1: name again? I, I want to make note of this. What was her name again?
0: Yeah, her name is Laura but they call her Dolly Johnson. Mhm. Mm-hmm. She was the White House head cook. So, um they said that so they so you know, the and I guess it's kind of, you know, your your thought about, you know, acknowledging farmers' uh, wives and the hard work that they do. But um, you know, the White House head cook is one of the most respected and hard jobs too. Um, And so she was, she was, you know, uh, respected by the president's family. And so she did everything from preparing the president's meals. Um, She was a former slave um, from Kentucky. She held the position twice. In 1889, President Benjamin Harrison Hired Johnson after firing his French chef. He wanted more hearty food. He didn't want that French food. He wanted hearty bluegrass cooking. Um, that's yeah. what they call bluegrass cooking. And oh. um, yes, and so um, it was it was amazing for her to have that type of job in the first place. And um, um, but it definitely took her a while to you know take that to, to take the actual job so her very first meal when she first arrived at the White House because if you some other trivia right it was um, blue point oysters, turkey, cranberry jelly, uh mince pie plum pudding um. So she had to leave seven months after she started this particular job um to help take care of her daughter, but she came back so President grover Cleveland during his second term, he wanted her mm-hmm. back, so she came um she came back she worked for a year uh grover fired her, and then he wanted her back, but she refused to come back. And so she took a stand and did not go back. And um, when she did go back home, um, back to Kentucky, um, he was the first black woman to own a business on Lex- Lexington Main Street. She opened a catering and uh, a number of restaurants, including one that was named the White House Cafe. And, you know, she definitely did her thing, right? She was a trailblazer mm-hmm. during her time and, you know, really inspired others in the field of culinary as a career. So so that is Laura Dolly. Johnson. So our hat goes off to her.
1: Oh, definitely. It, You know, I always found what was interesting is that, you know, there, was, there used to be the mindset that a woman's place was in the kitchen, but only in the kitchen of her home, not like, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. a chef,
1: you know. Mm-hmm. And even now, like I men and women chefs, that I I like and stuff like that. But that even now, they say that it's still, um, you know, they may have these up and coming women chefs, and um, but it's, it's still majority male, which I always found was so interesting. It's like, oh, you, uh, they're good enough to cook your dinner when you get home but they're not mm-hmm. good enough for you to go to a restaurant and pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um so definitely yeah um when when you have the uh the resume and it says, "Oh, I was a White House chef." There you go. Mhm.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I um so I have another one. Okay. I have another. I have another trailblazer, um, but I want to see if you had one that you wanted to share before I dive right in.
1: You know, I was thinking about Maya Angelou, and I have a. I have a, you know, her poetry, um, mm-hmm. and it's, um, and it's. You know, sometimes it's like you, it's so, it's like they're so inspiring, these 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 women are very inspiring, whether they're white or African American, you know, they pushed through doing what they were doing, and it's like, you know, there's something there because you know, we got a month, <laughs> Women's History Month. So maybe, you know, in 30 years, somebody will be saying, hey, does anybody remember Mackenzie Stewart and Amy Shannon? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, you know, its I, I find it interesting. I mean, we put our name on a, well, books. and, you know, even if that is, like a legacy i i think that um not just you and i are inspired by all of these women that we've discussed and many that um you know we may not have even uh time to um i'm inspired by you um sometimes you keep me going <laughs> No. <laughs> and, and, and and just you know it's it's not always easy to get out of bed in the morning, but I do. You know, I get out of bed and I keep going and um, your friendship and this show and your work, which I like to read a lot. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I sent you that document, I, mm-hmm. I was like reading it. I wasn't just like looking to to fix it. I'm like, oh, that's right. I remember that part. <laughs> But, you know, I hope that one day, you know, maybe I will be someone else's inspiration. You know, that's just kind of that. But um, anyone who is true to themselves and keeps pushing forward, no matter what, even when you get knocked down
0: mm-hmm.
1: and every time I've gotten knocked down I, I always get back up again. Um but uh you know, I think that we should celebrate those those people that inspire us and let them know if they do. I mean, mm-hmm. some of these people we we can't. You know, they they're mm-hmm. they're gone, but their legacy was on, and mm-hmm. I hope that they know that. You know, even though we didn't know them personally, they whatever they did paved the way for even just you and me being able to be like on the air like this. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's um so you know. Thank you for every woman that came before us and fought hard and taught us how to push forward and keep and keep going. And you know, I think our mothers had a lot to do with that as well. So thank you, moms.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I have another that I want to shout out, Melinda okay. Russell. Um so 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 there there seems to be a common theme here. Um they publish cookbooks, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, this is our food hour. Yeah. Um That's fine. Yeah, so Melinda um Melinda Russell, um, eighteen twelve and history doesn't really show uh the end date, but mm-hmm. um she's a self published uh, she, she self-published a domestic cookbook uh, containing a careful selection of useful recipes for the kitchen in 1866, and so um, she was looking to make you know lots of money, you know, from this particular um, you know book to take care of, you know herself and her family. Um, right. But she she was selling the book. She got robbed. And so she fled Tennessee to go to Michigan. And um, one of the things that um, that she did, that she was recognized uh, in 2000, so in 2000, uh, Russell okay. Wood's uh, cookbook was recognized as the first to be the authored by an African-American after a culinary historian discovered the only surviving copy. So she was celebrated. In, uh in 2000 um you know her her cookbook and we have to remember like you know during that particular time there was a lot of home remedies and her cookbook yeah. had a lot of those home remedies in it so that's why it was it was really popular um, um you know among people because you know there is not all this you know medication that we have you know today there's you know you take this and this yeah just like i gave you some some excellent tips I gave you an yeah, excellent exactly. tip on how to get yes. that, t- that tickle that pickle out of your throat. And yeah. you didn't take me up on it and I'm I'm pretty glad you didn't. But um <laughs> But well, uh, I
1: still if I have I still use and it's something that my grandmother used baking soda and water and yes it tastes disgusting but it helps get rid of like, you know, if you have um you know, upset stomach, or you know, your uh, your. You know, you have like acid reflux or something. I still use that. I don't have to buy uh, like antacid or anything like that. I just use that. Buy soda. That's what in most acids, anyways. It tastes mm-hmm. nasty, but it, it
0: works. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So she had some. She had lots of home remedies and. And the one thing that really made her cookbook um, w- really popular, she kept it short and simple. Everything, the recipes were short and simple. Um, and because she know, she knew that they had, people that were reading the book, they only had basic culinary skills. So she didn't need to make it overly uh, complicated or anything like that. Now, um, her also in her cookbook, she had more pastries than, you know, some of the other uh, women we were discussing. So she, she had mm-hmm. most of the pastries. Um And Ooh. so basically, yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, yeah, so she definitely was able to bring food, um, you know, to life and also with the home remedies. And she definitely um, helped us with um, understanding our um, – how to do um, – how how to how to bake pastries and then also how to, you know, start a restaurant.
1: Wow. Yeah. And
0: I mean it's wonderful
1: that, you know, this historian discovered this, you know, in two thousand, but in a way it's also sad that this information wasn't known for so long.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Um so Amy, did you have, you know, someone else you wanted to celebrate tonight?
1: I um Yeah, I uh I recently well, several months ago, um I I uh, read Anne Frank's diary, and I had never read it before. Um, and you know, when she wrote in her, her diary, he, she, she wasn't thinking someone else is going to read this. Mm-hmm. Um, and her father was the only survivor of the Frank family, and he insisted um, he 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 knew that. They they needed, people needed to know what they went through and from, you know, because his daughter chronicled her life and her feelings and her perception and she was closer to her father than she was her mother. Um, but in the end, um, only he survived and he fought to get her diary published so people would know the truth. And I know a lot of people, you know, um, when they think of the um, time in history, you know, sometimes that, um, you know, Anne Frank's name comes up. Um, and but she was a child whose words you know it 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 made them realize the truth and it also angered the germans and it is um it was one of the most um ba- uh, burned book in the night um, soon after it was published i think it was uh sometime in the nineteen forties um when when the it went to press. It was, um, and it was mainly burned in Germany towns. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to, um, she didn't live a, a full life. She lived a hard life. Mm-hmm. Um, but her words made an impact.
0: So. Mm, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so, I have I have another person I would like to uh, give a shout out to. And I, I'm still on my theme of food. That's so,
1: okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm still on my theme of food. Um, I want to celebrate Georgia Gilmore, 1920 through 1990. And um, Georgia Gilmore was a cook, a midwife, and a mother of six um, living in Montgomery, Alabama. Bama. And she was known for making the best pork chops in town. So she was the person Ooh. that you go, through. yeah, the best pork chops in, in town. And, and, this particular asset, the, the pork chops. The this particular asset made her well known during the bus boycott in Alabama. Um, the the oh. bus boycott, yep, in 1955. So as the boycott took place, it took off. Gilmore started selling fried chicken sandwiches to protesters. And at organizing meetings, Um, they were donating their profits to her movement. Soon she was able to uh, create a a community of women um, who were cooking and also selling dinners, cakes all over and pies all over town. Um, They turned their food um, as a tool to resistance during the 381-day boycott. Because many of them feared losing their job if their employers found out, Gilmore kept their identities a secret, and she named the clandestine, you know, you know, way of, you know, the money coming in, right. club nowhere, right? So, so people want to know where where are you getting this money to do it? Oh, it came from nowhere. <laughs> hey, so that, that works. <laughs> yeah that was her response um so they call it the club from nowhere um, but uh yeah I thought that was I thought that was really uh, cute um, um so also she she actually ended up losing her job um, after testifying on behalf of dr. Martin Luther King jr and eighty nine other protesters who'd been arrested afterwards mm-hmm. he encouraged her to open a restaurant inside her home and he helped her pay for the equipment. Wow. It soon, yes, it soon became a gathering place for civil rights activists and all races to strategize and feast on Gilmore's stuffed pork chops. And that was one of Emote's favorite uh, dishes that she she cooked. Um, wow. So she Cooked fried chicken, fish, your favorite, collard greens, um, and pound cake. Uh, In a full circle movement, Gilmore's civil rights journey ended in the kitchen where it began. She died in 1990 while cooking for the 25th anniversary of the 1965 march to Selma to Montgomery. The chicken and macaroni cheese she made were later saved for her mourners. And I think that she probably would have approved on that. So yeah, so she she died while she was cooking in her kitchen. Uh,
1: um, and, wow. Yeah. Well, she mm-hmm. died
0: the way she lived. So,
1: mm-hmm. I mean, that's all that anyone really wants. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, my hat. Oh man, <laughs> it makes me want to say, okay, where's those stuffed pork chops? What's that recipe? Oh i know i, I haven't I... had a g i haven't had a good pork chop in a very long time cause i i i i don't do as much cooking as i used to but mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah i mean that just sounds delicious, and I know stuffed pork chops because they're thick and they're they're hard at cooking <laughs> pork <laughs> chops themselves are not that you know there's a very fine line between moist and dry.
0: The, right it comes,
1: when it comes to pork chops. <laughs> uh
0: huh. Yep. Right. You're right about that. It is a very thin line. You're right about that. Yeah. Yep. And I'm that the 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 stuffing part makes it a little bit more moist, right? So if you tra- if you do cook yes. it a little too much, then the stuffing will will help keep it moist. So
1: yeah, I always oh. like mine with applesauce too.
0: <laughs> ah.
1: It's just, it's just those things. But I also found sometimes that I, like, um, one time I tried it. I didn't have applesauce. I only had an apple and an onion. So I roasted the apple and onion together and then put those on top of my pork chops, and it was delicious. But, yeah, oh, when my I eat goodness. pork chops, I still have, I buy applesauce. It's the only time I eat applesauce is I have pork. <laughs> huh.
0: Yeah, because I've, I've had, like, the like these, um, the spice, like the, maybe that you put the all spice on the, um, on the apples, to cook apples. So, yeah, I've had yeah, it that yeah. way. Yeah. hmm Yeah. So, maybe we, maybe should, we should just do a share out, um, on recipes. <laughs> <evening. laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, people cook,
1: like, um, from what I understand, you know, um. A lot of work goes into putting a cookbook together. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. You know, even these celebrity chefs or uh, just chefs that have, you know, cookbooks and stuff like that, um, you know, they have to try the recipes. They, Mm -hmm. you know, they do the photos of them. Right. um, They got to look appealing without all that, you know, like fake stuff that makes food shiny and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of um, of work that that goes into these and I'm sure that even with these um, cooks, these chefs that created that we discussed and they created their cookbooks, they had to probably handwrite them. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I can, you know, it's, I mean, I know that it's, it's just a lot of work. I mean, cause even when I was putting mine together, mine was just for family. It's like, sometimes it's a pinch of this and it's a dash of that. And then you're like, well, how do you <laughs> put that, <laughs> you know, there's just a little bit of this, a dab of this, you know, a dollop or, or whatever. And it's like, you have to like try to quantify it and, uh-huh. um, you know, decide, oh, well, is that a tablespoon or a teaspoon or I don't know, I usually do just three shakes of salt or
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot of work and then especially you put it together and then you've got to get it published. No matter how you get it published, it's still you know, you want it to look professional so it would be um I would love to get my hands onto some of these cookbooks um, and, you know, read the recipes and maybe try some. I, You know, I like to try new things. Um, and it's funny because there's some things that, like, my mom was a really good cook, but she, she always cooked things a certain way. I mean, she knew, like, a thousand different ways to make chicken and mm-hmm. a thousand different ways to use ground beef because back then in the seventies and eighties, it was cheaper to buy ground beef and chicken than it was any, anything else. I never had a steak until I was an adult. Um, mm-hmm. and, well, at one time, uh, a couple of times my mom would get venison from her, her friend who was, whose husband was a hunter and mm-hmm. um but she would never tell anybody that it was venison she would just say it was fake <laughs> but she knew how to cook it so you didn't get uh-huh. that gamey taste only I knew what it was I I, mm. I enjoyed it um, uh-huh. but I uh, my mom also had this that's how she sometimes she would just be inspired by someone's recipe and then she would kind of make it her own and I I didn't know what happened to it, and then one time I found it on Amazon. It was you know it's copyrighted 1972, but I I have a copy of it, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's really interesting to see because um, my mom used to make this applesauce cake, and it was so delicious. And it took me years of trial and error because she didn't write the recipe down. To be able to make that particular recipe and different seasonings and stuff like that, and then finally, once I think, oh yeah, I I I've, I've got it, except it's missing my mom's love, but mm-hmm. I know it's in there. Then I discover this cookbook. I found it, and then I found the recipe that that was in there that inspired my mom's recipe, and it was mm-hmm. very very similar to what I came up with. But you know, it was like trial and error, like, oh, I don't know, this doesn't taste too much, but you know, I now I have it, so
0: <laughs> so I have a I have a tip for you. Okay. So if you want to so you know how <laughs> so even if you do a so even if you do a box cake, if you su- you can substitute the oil for applesauce. And your cake yeah. will come out mo- moist. It will come out moist. Yeah, I've I've heard that. I
1: have I substituted eggs with mayonnaise before, um, and one thing that I used to do, even with especially with box cake, is instead of just put cracking, you know, whisking the eggs in there, I used to whip the egg whites separately. And then your cake becomes much more Mm -hmm. light and fluffy when you like, Mm -hmm. you know, fold in those egg whites. So Mm -hmm. yeah, um, (laughs) I have also made a lot of baking mistakes. And one time I didn't realize it wasn't. uh, I've made this chocolate cake for my kids, and I tried to frost it, and it wasn't cool enough so it ended up looking like gravel so I made it into, with the frosting I made it in the shape of volcano and I said here's your volcano cake <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it would be just like you would make a cake pop now I mix yeah. it in with the frosting and then I always even if I use regular like um, store bought frosting I mm. always mix it with cream cheese um, before I, I frost the cake um, because that will get rid of that extra too you know it's too sweet kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and sometimes i I just melt it down and you know melt down the frosting and just pour it over the the cake or dip the
0: cupcakes right into it Makes mm-hmm. it a lot easier, mhm. No, those are some good tips. Wow, I mean, you know, we should we should just have a cooking show because you know this, this whole thing turned um, into um, yeah how to cook. So but when
1: you think about it, you know, food is one of those things that brings people together. Whether mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. I mean, when I was a kid, we did. We all sat down at the table at the same time and had family dinners. That's just how it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I tried to do that with my kids. Um, You know, even if we didn't have a kitchen table and we ate in the living room together. uh, Now, me and my son William, we we have our own tradition. But I always tell. Lewis and Freestra, I'm like, let me know when you guys have a night off together, and then I'll, um, like, they love my baked macaroni and cheese, so I'll make that for them, then we can, we all sit down at this, the table together, or sometimes we just order Chinese or whatever. At least once a month, we try to, the four of us sit down together, um, but it's every night, it's it's me and William, um, we we sit down, we eat together, we Sometimes we watch some shows or we watch a movie, um, and and that's that's our evening. And you know, he said that um, it was his idea, and it's a way to. Um, it's something that he'll never forget. You know, even you know, in fifty years when I'm dead, still <laughs> remember, you know, our our meals together, and you know, we don't take we don't take each other for granted. Um mm-hmm. We learned that a long time ago. I mean, whenever one of us leaves the house, we always hug and we say, I love you.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And when they come home, I always ask them how their day was. Mm-hmm. Louis just rolls his eyes and says, fine, Mom. <laughs> but, you know, it's... um but yeah, like I I know I just kind of went off on track, but it was always it's always like food that it brings it brings people together. Whether you're cooking together or you're eating together, or maybe both, or if you think about family reunions or you know outside gatherings, it's you've got grills and people you know bringing different types of salads and all of that kind of thing, bringing people together. And this has been happening probably since the dawn of time. You know, I mean, think of it. The first, uh, the most famous food was the forbidden fruit, and it was still food. (laughs) Uh But, you know, we all make bad decisions, and probably because of that, but um, food brings brings people together and, um, and cookbooks are a, they're a literary tool. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because sometimes, and I, when I, when I was writing my, my, um, cookbook, I would write if a recipe was special to me for whatever reason, um, I, I kind of wrote, wrote that little story. Like, um, when I was a kid, my mom and I on on Saturdays we would do baking together. You know, we would bake um, some snacks or or whatever. You know, we didn't. My mom didn't store buy, um, you know, baked goods or cake or, you know, Twinkies or whatever, you know, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. If, she, if if we had a snack that was a baked good, it was something that she made so she could control w- what she put in it, you know. Mm-hmm. And she also taught me how to substitute, you know, one time we made a cake and we mm-hmm. ran out of flour, so she just used pancake batter mix and the cake came out just gorgeous <laughs> it's got everything in it. <laughs>
0: Right, yeah, yeah, you're right about that. Wow. (laughs) That is is so true. That is definitely so true. Well, Amy, it's definitely been um, a pleasure celebrating uh, Women's History Month with you. Um, And so uh, the listeners, you can find out um, everything that you need to know about um, about the after show. Thank you for listening to the After Show. I'm Mackenzie Stewart.
1: And I'm Amy Shannon. And like Mackenzie said, everything is on our website. And maybe we'll share some, re- um, some recipes on uh, our blog, The Right View. So um, join us again next week. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.